0: All right, as promised at the top of the program, we're going to have a little talk with my former high school history teacher. He's been on before. We're glad to have him back on. And uh, to that, I would say welcome back, Mark Mattingly.
1: Thank you. You did have me for political science.
0: Technically, that's true.
1: Okay. The U.S. History was, 12th grade. It was 11th grade, and I taught 12th. But...
0: Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> the truth comes out. We were nothing. On Radio parallax, if not Stickler's for accuracy. So, <laughs> yes. Uh, but we did we talked about a lot of stuff that was going on at the time that was very civil rights oriented, I think you would need have to say. That was a that was a hotbed of, of of that activity.
1: Absolutely. You guys took back in that era before economics became in California, the 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 class you had to take as a, as a high school senior that was a real economics course, you know, supply and demand and all that as opposed to writing checks and getting an apartment that used to be kind of this kind of life kind of a course, became an academic course that was passed in the 80s. Before that, we had electives, and I taught minority groups, yeah. I taught sociology, and we also offered for your, your, your kids in the senior class economics and and uh, psychology.
0: Well, it's interesting to to look back now. I mean, we're still dealing with civil rights in the United States of America, but but I want to to talk today about something that struck me in reading, well, of course, impeachment is in the news. There's, you know, there there's, there's talk, there is an inquiry going on to investigate uh, President Donald Trump to see about whether we want to impeach him, and, and I'm sort of pulling for the Democrats on this one. But but there's talk, of course, naturally about impeachment. Looking back in history at the several presidents, the three presidents where this was an issue about, and you know during, since since you t- taught me we've had two impeachment issues with richard nixon and 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 bill clinton both of which are probably subjects we could talk about for an hour if we we probably should do that in the future because those those are those are remarkable events but andrew johnson is the one that really stuck with me because he was the first time a president faced impeachment and i was taught you know i mean i've got a copy of profiles in courage right in, in front of me right now that portrays uh, edmund g ross the man who kept Johnson from being removed from office, which, you know, failed only by one vote, uh, as a hero. He was, as a man who, who uh, did the right thing. In fact, Ross was quoted in John F. Kennedy's book, Profiles in Courage, about why he did what he did. And he said, in a large sense, the independence of the executive office as a coordinate branch of the government was on trial. If the president must step down, a disgraced man and a political outcast, upon insufficient proofs, and from partisan considerations, the office of the president would be degraded, cease to be a coordinate branch of government, and ever after subordinated to the legislative will. So, Ross is portrayed as a hero, having done what he did. But I've got a briefing here in front of me from The Week magazine that talked about, yeah, Ross voted that way, but he, yeah, he might have been bribed. I mean, that, that, that's how far it's gone. Yeah, I mean, they, he might have just been a scoundrel.
1: For me, number, number one, just like with Clinton, there's not a real reason to impeach him that, I mean with, with Nixon he actually did break the law and he did violate the Constitution and Trump probably has done the same thing we don't you know we don't know yet, but it looks like it. With Johnson he he got rid of the Secretary of War and put Ulysses s Grant in as, as a head of the Secretary of War while Congress is out of session and he got rid of Stanton. They didn't like it. they came back and passed a tenure law that said you can't do that. They passed the law after he had already done what he did and tried to pass a law, and he vetoed that. And the election of 1866, they got a majority of two-thirds, and they passed it through over his veto. So to me, it was all a political stunt between the radical Republicans to try to gain control and have their way when it was really not constitutional what they did to begin with.
0: The articles of impeachment against Johnson were heavily, I think there were like 11 articles. Eight of them were based on the, the, the Tenure of Office Yes, Act. yes. So the whole thing was really cooked up. It really was partisan. It was a a, a a urination match, I guess you'd say, between the Senate Republicans who had plans about how they were going to reconstruct the South and, and Johnson. And I guess they wanted to be more aggressive in some respects as to how they went in there and changed Southern society. And Johnson... Per the current reading of it, was sort of standing in their way and saying, "We're going to let the Southern states. I'm a states' rights guy. They can they can do what they want in terms of how they want to hold elections, and we're we're going to we're going to let them do that." Which which now looks really terrible,
1: right? But also, he was you know he was apparently as I've been reading the newer versions of all this that he's let had a lot of statements that were very pro white and anti black, and he wanted he believed that white people should run the country or whatever as long as he was president. And he made some of these comments before he became president, uh, obviously. But to me, he was, a you know, he replaced Lincoln, who was, you know, it's like replacing Curry that gets hurt (laughs) in the the Warriors. I mean, good luck with that one. Or the guy that played center field after Babe Ruth. And and (laughs) he was ill-prepared to kind of take over this job. Yes. And the Radical Republicans, to me, had a great agenda that they should legislate, which was the 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 thirteenth fourteenth and fifteenth amendments giving the you know blacks the right to vote giving them citizenship and getting them due process you know and and, and all that uh, you know the equal protection clause also the other stuff was they were politically wanted to dominate the south and make it republican so they could have the yes. republican party and johnson was trying to make the south like lincoln wanted to do come back in, in a more moderate way and that was a big clash do we do it moderately or do we do it radically
0: you know that's quite interesting what you, what you point out, because I think, I think and I want to ask you a minute about the old and the new views, but I think in both views, it's acknowledged that the South was solidly Democratic. It, it, it elected Lincoln because they split the vote three ways, and they elected this Republican, which led to them saying, well, now we're going to leave the union. And in the wake of an effort to make the South more Republican, Johnson was willing to let it go the other way and, and just say, like, you know, you're going to do what you need to do. And of course, This led to the rise of the Ku Klux Klan, which then set out to, uh, you know, attack Republicans wherever you could find them in the South. They were called all sorts of names. And it it led to what we were still talking about in high school. I mean, this whole civil rights issue of like, they they wound up passing these 13th, 14th, 15th amendments, and then setting out to ignore them.
1: Yes, it was too fast to not let the The Confederate soldiers vote and participate in 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 the new governments and letting these new blacks who were freed and had no real knowledge of much to be in charge, and basically it was a uh, Northern Republicans down there showing them what they wanted to have done. So yeah, it was it was awful, you know. But but Johnson was sort of just kind of uh, an afterthought to me, you know, about what was going on between what was really happening and what he was trying to do. He couldn't get anything done he wanted to do.
0: Well, where do you think the truth lies? I mean, there's this old version of the impeachment of Johnson and Johnson himself and the new version, and I'm sure there's, there's truth in both, but, but what do you think about how, how our perspective has just changed? I mean, times change, how we look at things changes, but it just surprises me the, the degree to which this has done a 180, from what I can see.
1: Every time a topic shows up, there's this research about it. So, you know, Trump and impeachment has become the topic. So now we're looking at all of that topic. You know, same thing with Nixon and Clinton. I mean, Clinton's impeachment was, you know, and Ken Starr and and all... all All that silly stuff about the dress and the spot had nothing to do with the Constitution, had nothing to do with what he was doing, you know, running the country legally, illegally. It had something to do with what was going on, quote, unquote, under the table, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) The more you start researching that, then more... You know, guys in college want to get their PhDs and start... I mean, information showed up that way now. And I'm reading that, that that information was always kind of there, that he drank too much. He made statements often that he shouldn't have said, but it was before he was president. Yeah. You know, so... And people... And Lincoln picked him because he was trying to, you know, bring the Southerners in with him a little bit.
0: Right, he he actually was a Southern Democrat. He was a senator from Tennessee, and when the South seceded, he said, "I'm still loyal," and he he stayed in the Senate, representing a state which was now due you know, well. It was a border state, so I no no wait, I stand corrected. Tennessee was legitimate South. Kentucky and Missouri were
1: well. It was yes, but it was still sort states. of a border. More more there was more going on up there than there was down in the deep South part. Yeah, but, but the the split was obviously economics, and it was economics between. The farmers in the north, and heading west, that had small farms and couldn't compete with, with a slave economy, you know, plantation economy, and so the north, the northern Democrats, dropped out of the Democratic Party and became Republicans, and they're still there. (laughs)
0: Right, it was the Whig Party and the Democrats that 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 defected, that became became our Republican Party. Yes,
1: yes. So the Southern Democrats became the Democratic Party until 1932. No, it's, it's called a realignment. You know, yeah. back when I was in college. And yeah, you know, yeah. different groups realigned and it was in nineteen thirty-two when blacks realized, finally, that the Republicans weren't doing them any good. <laughs> and they voted started voting for Roosevelt and right. Democrats.
0: Right. They, when, for a generation or two, they voted Republican and, out of and gratitude. When the
1: when yeah. the indigenous and the poor from the depression realized uh-huh. that, that the New Deal had a better better program and the intellectual community was mm-hmm. rallying around the Democratic Party. And there was realignment and the Southern Democrats Hated Northern Republicans until 1964 with Barry Goldwater. And then we had another realignment. Exactly. Okay.
0: Exactly. Goldwater carried five Southern states. People forget that.
1: I mean, Gore and Clinton were both from Arkansas and Tennessee and didn't win those two states running for president. So the South is no longer that Democratic you know, bastion that it used to be.
0: God, I'm just thinking about that. And Obama was the first Democrat that wasn't a Southerner since JFK to be president. He said, for a while, you can't have a Democrat as president unless he's a Southerner. And boy, you even wonder about that, looking ahead to 2020. I guess, are there, are there any Southern Democrats that are among, among the candidates? Not really. Well, O'Rourke dropped
1: out. And that was his deal, I think, was that he was trying to, yeah. to, you know, be, have a progressive agenda that the South, because he's, you know, he lives in a, a state full of guns. That, that, I mean, you can't walk into McDonald's and say anything negative; you, somebody would pull a gun on you. You know.
0: <laughs> well, it's, it is interesting that this, this Reconstruction period. Uh, uh, while traveling some years back, I ran into a man who ran the um, the museum. In, in in Kansas related to the Brown versus Board of Education, and it was just, it was so fascinating to realize that it took until the 1950s to basically undo what goes back to like, I think, 1876 when they had an election and the Republicans decided, we're going to cut a deal with the Democrats and say, we'll make it official. You guys control the South the way you want, but we'd like to have some, you know, we'd, we'd like to win this election and then control the finances of the country, which I think is the deal that they cut. And from 80 years after that, 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 that was a very bad situation for Southern blacks.
1: Right. And getting back to the, the Reconstruction and Johnson, he, he was just kind of hanging out there. The, the Repu- radical republics were running Congress after the election of 1866, and he mm-hmm. had very little to say. And he, mm-hmm. he kept his job and at the end of that it was you know grant got got to be the president and uh, and that was what happened but i i don't know if it's if it's a reinvention of of information that were you know like or if it's always kind of been that way but it didn't matter cuz what who he was didn't really matter that much about about what was going to happen with reconstruction it just happened because the republican party had had control of of congress and they just did it yeah well I'm I'm concerned, I guess now, based on what's going on with with Trump and and the talk about impeachment. Um, and I was thinking about the other three that we were just, we just mentioned. Yeah. Which of these, in your view, do you think are valid ones that we should have actually done? Okay. And are there any there that were just bogus stuff
0: that okay. were political? That's a great question.
1: And and it it was a waste of time and and. Right, I
0: would start with Andrew Johnson and say that was a bogus impeachment, because because it was really a political it was a political play against him because he, Republicans wanted to assert their authority. I don't I don't think he did anything that was impeachable.
1: Right, and and what I read too just recently here that there was really a revenge among them in the Northern Republican Radical Republican group that they wanted revenge. And, and and they were going way past what was going to be, you know, moderately a good idea to try to make the country whole again. Yeah. they They were, you know, and I look at our president right now. He's not trying to do anything on the border to really help these people that are really hurting to try to come in here. Yeah. Um he's not trying to look at climate <laughs> as anything that's I mean based on what I just read today in the newspaper about these scientists and what they're saying it's it's like it it's it's this silly stuff that has nothing to do with, with <laughs> well, what's real Well if we
0: would to jump from number 1 to number 4 and say is 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 Donald Trump impeachable I would say I don't know how to answer this. So, so affirmatively, yeah. He, he's a he's a pathological liar. He's incompetent. He is abusing the power of the presidency every which way from Sunday. And yes, he should be impeached.
1: Because to me, he has broken, based on what I've been reading, he's broken m- many constitutional you know, requirements and laws that he they shouldn't add, be like
0: doing. The, the so-called, he talked about this so-called emoluments clause. You know, no, there really is such a clause, Mr. President, and you really can't break it. And if you do, you'll be held, you, you can be held accountable.
1: It was, should Nixon have lost his job? You, you think he should have been impeached?
0: Here's the deal. Nixon was impeached for the cover-up of the Watergate burglary and how they they basically made that into obstruction of justice. And I think he did take all sorts of steps to make sure that there was, that they derailed the investigation into Watergate. I don't think he ordered the Watergate burglary. And I think that he was set up. And I think that he probably was guilty of a lot of crimes and obstructions of justice. But I'm going to vote that the Nixon impeachment was... Dubious.
1: Using the CIA and the FBI to investigate Democrats is a little past what their role is supposed to be. Oh
0: yeah, but Lyndon Johnson had had the FBI bug Bobby Kennedy in the '64. uh,
1: I'm not. I'm not saying uh, he shouldn't have been. You know, (laughs) he should
0: have been (laughs) been, (laughs) been impeached as well. I mean, you you know,
1: I, I mean, we had a FBI guy that that you know followed King around. And, and, oh yeah, I, I
0: microphones mean, under the bed. Yeah, right.
1: Uh, all the above. So absolutely, those things. And today, now you have a phone in your pocket. That who knows is listening to you.
0: Well, I, I, I just. This is my personal opinion on Watergate, which we talked about in the show in the past. Is that there's so much, there's so many layers to that onion. That yes, he was guilty of some things. I think he was set up because once he decided. Well in the on the Watergate tapes, when they let him know he, they recorded the conversation when they're letting him know what the hell happened, and he looks he looks very surprised and says, like, "Oh," and they said, "Well, this invites Howard Hunt now has been involved, and he's like, "Oh, hunt, this will open up a whole can of worms. We got you go over to the CIA and see if they'll put the kibosh on this."
1: Well, his administration was violating the Constitution, and so the fact that he resigned before going through an impeachment, you know, in the Senate, with all that public information coming out and him having to testify under oaths.
0: Yes, they did vote to impeach, but they did not actually hold the trial in the Senate. I agree. He would have been removed from office. He was going to go down.
1: So what about Bill Clinton?
0: Bill Clinton is the travesty of travesties. I, I agree with, and I don't say this very often, but I fully agree with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> that that the whole thing was absurd he he once said to his credit i was embarrassed to be a republican when that was going on because it was it's 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 just it is so ridiculous on so many levels bill clinton should not have been impeached in a word and i think again i think the real reasons the republicans did it was they not because they wanted to remove bill clinton from office and make al gore the incumbent to run against in 2000 but to drive a wedge between clinton and gore and in that i think they succeeded
1: I also think they thought, which is what the problem is right now and I'll get to that in a second, that if they did this that the, the Republicans could win the election, you know, with getting a lot of people in Congress and they could beat him by impeaching him mm-hmm. and it backfired. Yeah. It backfired. That's true. There was this, you know, feeling uh, you know against it and I think that's why Pelosi's been dragging her feet related to the, with the Trump, you know, idea that, that, that action, yeah. That he's going to get all this sympathy which is going to hurt the election coming up next year? So, how much of this do we want to do? And and he's done so many things that they that they found out now that they have to go through with it. And I know Pelosi doesn't really want to do it that same way. That these young new you know you know, uh, Republican mean, Democratic you know kind of radical on the left side want to want to push for this.
0: I can't imagine a president in history more eminently impeachable than Donald Trump.
1: And and going back to. You know, my mother and your and your parents, our parents, the word "damn" and "hell" and 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 all those words that were in a Shelley Berman record that I bought in the nineteen fifties, <laughs> I, I had to hide it under my bed. And any any president that would swear, she wouldn't vote for. Her. We get to Bill Clinton, who's got a woman he's had sex with, and she's got a dress with a spot of sperm on it, or whatever oh it, 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 that she won't. She's telling Linda Tripp about, and and she won't get rid of. The, won't destroy the evidence to this guy. Who grabs women, brags about it, has mistresses that are being paid She's off under the table, and he wins the election. Know. He wins the election. And and again, my mother and father would no more vote for that if they heard that, if they loved the guy. Right. It, that that would do it for, for them. You know, and in our society now, we're we're in a different place with values and morals. And I I, I don't sort of know what to believe anymore about about what it would take to get rid of Uh, or have people vote against... No, the
0: standards have changed. I mean, it's, it's bizarre. Mark, it's been a great pleasure having you on again. You must come back soon.
1: Would love to. Thanks so much.
0: Mark Mattingly, my former political science teacher back in high school. Fun thing to have him on. Yeah, this would be a good time to, I think, segue into a piece we mentioned before that I think I should read again, which we do sometimes on this program. It was from The New Yorker from last month. And there were just a few words in it that I thought sort of scintillated. So let me read them again. The article notes in the Talk of the Town, under the comment Reason to Impeach, Many features of Trumpism, the cynical populism, the brazen readiness to profit from high office, the racist and nativist taunts, have antecedents in American politics. But Donald Trump's open willingness to ask foreign governments to dig up dirt on political opponents has been an idiosyncratic aspect of his rise to power. At a press conference in July of 2016, when he was the presumptive Republican nominee, he invited Russia to get a hold of Hillary Clinton's emails and leak them to the press. The piece goes on to mention that he's subsequently been asked about this, George Stephanopoulos did, and he said, well, yeah, I'd be interested in some dirt if a, another country like Norway called up and said, we have information on your opponent. Uh, yeah, I'd want to hear it. <laughs> uh, when the interview was released, notes the New Yorker, Ellen Weintraub, the chair of the Federal Elections Commission, felt obliged to point out that it is illegal for any person to solicit, accept, or receive anything of value from a foreign national in connection with a U.S. election. It's good to remind the president of that. But one thing that strikes me about all of this this live fest that, that comes out of the Trump administration is is that it there just isn't the outrage that we used to expect. That that um People are accepting the new norm, and you just have to wonder how this can be. The Economist sounded off on this, sort of, in their current edition, in the international section, which talked about, well, the title of the article, I think, is revealing. It said, this article is full of lies, and noted that you really can fool some of the people all the time. And then it gets into the psychology of what might be going on right now. It opens by citing a piece in Psychological Review by a psychologist at New York University, Jonathan Haidt, who's delightfully titled it The Emotional Dog and Its Rational Tail. He argues that when people make moral decisions, they're influenced by emotion or what might also be termed intuition. They may think they're weighing evidence, but in fact, their decisions are made in the blink of an eye. The reasons they give afterwards merely reflect those emotions like a dog wagging its tail. The piece notes that dictatorships have always been built on lies. The Soviet Union called its main newspaper Pravda, truth. That was a lie, of course. It does note that politicians and democracies have always mangled the truth, denying affairs and downplaying all the ill effects of their policies. What is new is the degree to which voters are prepared to back leaders who seem to revel in their mendacity, notes The Economist. Boris Johnson's first notable act was to be fired from a newspaper for making up a quote. Yet... He is Britain's prime minister. India said it had downed a Pakistani F-16 jet fighter over Kashmir last February. Facing an election, Narendra Modi, India's prime minister, said his country had taught Pakistan a lesson. A subsequent inspection of Pakistan's aircraft by American officials showed that no F-16s were missing. India maintains its position. As for President Donald Trump, they note, whole websites are devoted to his truthlessness. In one, Glenn Kessler of the Washington Post fact-checks presidential statements and always award scores. Three Pinocchios for significant factual errors and four for whoppers. Mr. Trump's claim about Ukraine and Hunter Biden fit into the whopper category. As of October 19th of this year, the president has made 13,453 false or misleading statements while in office. Rather than grapple with what is true and what is false, Twitter said on October 30th it would ban political ads. Facebook has so far declined to do the same. The piece notes, yet their duplicity seems to cost politicians little, if anything, in electoral support. Surveys by YouGov, a pollster, put Mr. Johnson's conservative party in the lead in the election due in November. Mr. Trump's job approval rating is 43% low, but only one point below what it was when he took office. No one takes for granted that he will lose next year's presidential election. Why isn't lying more damaging, asks the magazine. One possibility is that lying on a Trumpian scale is so unusual, so frequent, shameless, and easily falsified that people do not know how to react. In tests, between two-thirds and three-quarters of people say they never lie Most of the rest claim to lie fewer than five times a day. It's hard to comprehend someone who goes so far beyond normal, occasional deceitfulness. Another explanation is that people trust leaders for whom they have voted, whatever those people say. Because Donald Trump has abandoned so many traditional Republican policies, such as support for free trade and suspicion of Russia, the researchers conclude that it is personal. Those who still call themselves Republicans support Mr. Trump because of who he is, not what he stands for. And if personal loyalty trumps ideology, then voters may back a politician even if he does not tell the truth. Indeed, Mr. Trump's supporters may even relish his deceits. His lies are taken as evidence of his cocking a snook at the swampy establishment. Anyway, the article descends into quite a bit of psychology after that, which I'm not going to go into, but it certainly does raise some really curious questions about how it is we just don't seem to get upset about bald-faced, easily provable lies like we used to, or at least like I think we used to. The article concludes by noting that you might expect or hope that thoughtful people would be even more amenable to the force of fact-based evidence than most. Alas, no. According to David Perkins of Harvard University, the brighter people are, the more deftly they can conjure up post-hoc justifications for arguments that back their own side right people are just as likely as anyone else to ignore facts which support their foes. John Maynard Keynes, a famously intelligent British economist, is said to have asked someone, when the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do, sir? If they were honest, most would reply, I stick to my guns. Well, let's close with the business section of the East Bay Times, dated October 25th for an article that got my undivided attention, the headline was Biotech Firms Asked to Share Research with Defense Department. Article by Lisa Krieger notes that the Pentagon wants what Silicon Valley Biotech is building. A couple weeks back, the DOD held a workshop in San Jose to learn about local synthetic biology research that could help boost homeland security, they say, and strengthen the capacity of the military overseas. They quoted an Alexander Titus, assistant director for biotechnology in the office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Research and Engineering, as saying, we're looking for ideas from the community to help solve problems. He was quoted as saying the U.S. military isn't developing bioweapons, oh the hell it's not, and it has no plans to create a Terminator or other cyborg assassin. Phew. Man, I did not want to open my front door and see Arnold Schwarzenegger standing there with a leather jacket on. Yeah, are you Douglas Everett? Anyway, the Pentagon wants to know more about creating chameleon like camouflage, corrosion resistant surfaces, and more resilient body armor. Well, I'm sure it's all in the name of peace and prosperity. That pretty much does it for the program, which was produced by Edward McMillan, who oddly enough is on his cell phone right now trying to book some mutton busting. In jurisdictions where it remains legal, of course. He's not going to get involved in any of those renegade rodeos. Not after what happened last time. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. Our thanks to Mark Mattingly. And we'll see you next week.